Merry Christmas to you all. We will tonight briefly consider a passage from Luke chapter 2, and I'll read from verses 22 to 35. This is Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 35. It'll be on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. In the story, you can picture old Simeon waking up that morning. And if you had asked Simeon, Simeon, what are you going to do today? Simeon would have said, I'm going to do the same thing I do every day. I'm going to watch, and I'm going to look, and I'm going to wait. And if you said to old Simeon, Simeon, what are you going to look for? What are you watching for? What are you waiting for? Then Simeon would have said, why, I'm waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, any good Jewish person would have known exactly what he was talking about. Any good Jew that had read his Bible like Simeon had read it knew that God had promised that one day there would be a redeemer, a rescuer, a deliverer for God's people. In fact, just one chapter earlier in Luke chapter 1, Luke records a prophecy from Zechariah. Zechariah was John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin's father. And when John the Baptist was born, Zechariah begins to speak, and in chapter 1, verses 70 and 71, he says, God, you promised that you would visit your people with salvation. You spoke through the mouths of prophets from long ago that you would save us from our enemies so that without fear we could serve the Lord. So the day was coming when God would send a savior, a deliverer, a rescuer, who would come to God's people and save them from their enemies and rescue them from all fear. Now, most of the people in Zechariah's day and in Simeon's day would have figured that that promise had something to do with the Romans. Israel had had its fair share of foreign powers and oppressors. And back in the Old Testament, it was the Philistines. After that, it was Babylonians and Assyrians. And now it was the Romans. And so the hope was one day someone will come who will rescue Israel, who will console Israel from her oppression, deliver her and rescue her. And so Simeon like all the saints of the Old Covenant, was watching and looking and waiting for when the promised one would come. 
And if you said to Simeon, Simeon, listen, it has been an awfully long time since God made those promises. If you said to Simeon, gee, Simeon, it's actually been centuries, millennia since God made those promises. And if you said to Simeon, Simeon, in fact, it's been 400 years since we've even seen a prophet in these parts. Heaven has been silent for four centuries. There's no burning bushes. There's no split seas. There's no messengers, no oracles, no angels, no prophets. Heaven has been shut silent. Gee, Simeon, surely there must be something better to do with your time than to look and watch and wait. Surely there must be something better than to bank your whole life on some very old promises from a very old book. I think if you said that to Simeon, Simeon would have said to you, absolutely not. Simeon would have said, I am waiting. And then Simeon would have said the craziest thing in the world. Simeon would have said, not only is he going to come, God has told me he's going to come in my lifetime. In fact, Simeon would have said, I know it's been a millennia, and I know it's been 400 years since we've heard a prophet, but Simeon would have said to you, in fact, God told me that I won't die until I see the Lord's Christ, until I see the promised one, the Messiah, the deliverer, the rescuer. I mean, you have to understand how crazy that is. The closest thing I can think of is the guy with the cardboard sign in the middle of the city that says, Jesus is coming next week, right? That's old Simeon. Simeon says what you've been waiting centuries for, and you think of this, they have been waiting for the Christ since Adam. How many good, godly people have waited, generation after generation after generation, each one hoping that it would be in their lifetime that the promise of God would be fulfilled. And Moses waited, and David waited, and Isaiah waited, and Jeremiah waited, and Ezekiel waited, and Malachi waited. And now Simeon had come. And listen to who Simeon is. Nobody. The text doesn't say that he's a prophet. The text doesn't say that he's a priest. In fact, from what we know of the text, he's probably not even the pastor behind the pulpit. He's just a person in the pews. And he's saying, God the Holy One told me that what David didn't see and Moses didn't see, what Abraham didn't see, what Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and all the writers of the Bible didn't see, God told little old me, just the person in the pews, that he is going to come and he's going to come in my lifetime. In fact, I will not die before I see the Lord's Christ. And I want to say for us this evening, who are on the other side of the Christmas story, on the other side of the Christmas story, is it not a good comfort to hear from Simeon? For us, who also have been waiting for the Christ, who on this side of the Christmas story have been waiting for his return every bit as much as the saints of old was waiting for his coming. We are waiting for him to come again as they were waiting for him to come. Simeon could stand right next to us and sing, Come thou long-expected Jesus. Israel's strength and consolation, joy of every heart, hope of all the nations. That's Simeon's song that we're singing on this side of Christmas. And you imagine, every generation since 33 AD has been waiting. Every generation since Jesus ascended into heaven and an angel came to the apostles while they were looking up and said, what are you looking up for? The one who went up will come down just as he went up. And since 33 AD, we've been watching and looking, and waiting. 
And you think of all the godly people, from Paul all the way to us in this room, waiting for him to come. And surely someone will say to us, don't you have something better to bank your life on than some old promises from a very old book? And when doubt begins to creep in our hearts, old Simeon should come to our minds. And Simeon would shout to us, I promise you, though it seems like he will delay, though it seems like he tarries, he will come exactly like he said. And the reason Simeon knows this is because of what happens next. Listen to Luke 2, verse 27. It says this, And he, Simeon, came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. Meaning that same day, Simeon, somehow led by the Holy Spirit, walks into the temple and sees a young couple with a newborn child. They're holding in their arms a 40-day-old baby. Now you imagine, there is nothing distinct about this child. There's no halo around his head. There's no light coming from his body. There's no chorus of angels following him, singing. He looks like every other infant in Israel. He looks like every other child, and yet something in Simeon's soul nudges him. The Holy Spirit begins to say to him, this is the one. Now you imagine Simeon's soul doing cartwheels and backflips, his heart leaping for joy as the Holy Spirit says to him, this is the one. This is the promised one. This child held by Mary, his mother, near Joseph, his father. This child named Jesus is the one you've been waiting for. Could you imagine that moment? You who have waited for anything. Could you imagine what it would be like to hear a people waiting for God's deliverer? Someone who is going to come, who's going to lead them out of captivity like Moses did out of Egypt. Someone who's going to defeat their enemies like David did with Goliath. And now you're holding in your hand someone greater than Moses, someone better than David, someone wiser than Solomon, someone who will be more important than them all. You're holding in your hand all your hopes and all your dreams and all the longings of your heart. And it's in your hand. I'd like to think, this isn't in the Bible, I'm making this up, but I'd like to think that Simeon read Ecclesiastes that morning, right? He was like Seven Mile Road Church in the month of December, and he was reading Ecclesiastes. And I'd like to think that in his morning quiet time, his devotional time with the Lord, he had just finished hearing Solomon say that there is nothing under the sun that can bring satisfaction. That there's nothing under the sun that can live up to all your hopes and all your dreams and all your longings. That everything under the sun is hevel, vanity. It falls short. It can't meet up to your expectations. I'd like to think that he read Ecclesiastes 2 that morning and that he had thought to himself, here's Solomon who had sought satisfaction in everything under the sun. He went after wine and women. He went after work and wealth. He went after vocation and vacation and wisdom. He went after it all. And Solomon concludes, vanity of vanities, it's all vanity. You remember when we were preaching through Ecclesiastes, we said, if Solomon had Spotify, it'd be you twos. I still haven't found what I'm looking for, right? That's Solomon's whole story. He had, with all the money and all the resources, he had drank in the ocean and found it to be salt water, 
and he was still thirsty, still searching, still looking. In fact, what Solomon, because he's a little bit grumpy, would say to you the night before Christmas is, no matter what's under the tree, you're going to be disappointed. That's, that's Solomon. And then he'd say, Merry Christmas, right? <laughs> Solomon would say to you, no matter what's under the tree, it's not going to live up to what you need, what you want. In fact, here's what Solomon would say. You're not going to open anything tomorrow that's going to leave you going, I'm satisfied. I'm content. You're not going to have anything tomorrow that's going to leave you saying, I never need anything again. Because Solomon would say to you, that toy you brought in and snuck into the house, you're going to be the same one to bring it to the trash can in a few months. Solomon's going to say, that phone that excites you right now, by next year you'll be bored and they'll bring out another one. Solomon's going to say to you, even if it's not the stuff under the tree, even if it's the people around the tree, Oh, you're not materialistic. You're banking on relationships, friends, family, spouse, children. Solomon would say to you, they will disappoint you. They will frustrate you. They will not be able to bear the expectations, the longings of your heart. And even in the best of relationships, finally, they'll die and leave you. There is nothing under the sun that can bear the weight of your deepest longings, that can live up to be everything you had hoped it to be. But I think that if old Simeon could talk to old Solomon, he would say, Solomon, I found what you were looking for. I found it. That Simeon would have held Jesus in his hands, and Luke says he was totally satisfied, totally content. In fact, Solomon, Simeon could literally say, I don't need anything else. Simeon could literally say, I could die right now and be as happy as can be. Simeon was content and satisfied, and at Christmas, Simeon got everything he had ever wanted. And Simeon could say, I never need another thing in my life. Simeon held Jesus in his hands, and he looked at this boy's face, and he said to him, you are the one I have been waiting my whole life for. You're everything I ever wanted. You're everything I ever desired. And that Christmas, Jesus lived up to every one of Simeon's hopes. Jesus lived up to and didn't fail every one of his dreams or his desires. He met every longing of Simeon's soul. Jesus was for him living water, not an ocean of salt water. And he drank him in and he thirsted no more, so much so that old Simeon could say, Now I can die in peace. Lord, now let your servant depart in peace. You think of that. I was reading an article that said there's this popularity of articles around us like 50 places to go before you die. You ever see those articles? A hundred things to eat before you die. A thousand things to do before you die. And those articles are especially popular in our day because they feed into our fear of missing out, right? The last thing we want is to miss out on anything. And so we've got lists full of stuff that we have to do, that we have to try, that we have to eat. And yet here in Luke 2, it seems that Simeon's bucket list had one thing. See Jesus and die. That's it. And when he, in Luke 2, held Jesus, he checked the bucket list and he said, Lord, now I can die. 
Ecclesiastes kept telling us, death is coming, death is coming. Simeon said, Jesus is here, I can die. I can die in peace. Simeon teaches us, it turns out there's only one thing you need to see before you die. Jesus Christ. And if you've seen him, you are ready indeed. When we Christians are at our best, when we're thinking most sane, when we're at our best moment, we sound like Simeon. We'll say things like the psalmist. We'll say, Lord, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. When we're at our most sane, we'll sing things like, take the world, but give me Jesus. You can have it all, just give me Jesus. And Simeon says, there is nothing waiting for you in Christmas that can satisfy your soul like Jesus can. And so Simeon says, verse 29, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. Filled with the Holy Spirit, Simeon, as he's holding the baby, declares who this child is. This is God's salvation. He said, I am seeing the embodiment of every one of God's promises. I'm seeing salvation itself. He describes Jesus and he says, Jesus is a light for the world. Hear that? He's a light for the Gentiles and for the Jews. He's a light for the world. Meaning he's what? He's a light for revelation. He has come into the world so that you can see. See what? One preacher said it this way, tomorrow morning, because it's Monday, you'll be used to your normal routines. And so even though you want to sleep in, your body perhaps will wake up at 5.30 in the morning or 6 in the morning. And when it does, what will you do? You'll turn on your nightlight or you'll turn on the room light. And it will let you do everything you need to do into the room. Until what? Until about 7 or these days, 7.15, when the sun comes out. And once the sun comes out, you open the blinds and you throw open the curtains and you no longer need the lesser lights because the light of the world has come. And Simeon, by the Spirit, is saying, yes, there were lesser lights telling us about God for a long time, but now into the world, the light of the world has come. And all those lesser lights were standing in place until he arrived. And now we can see, see what? He had come to show you what God is like. He has come as a revelation of God. So, at Christmas, here's what you need to know. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Hear me. That is not a popular word in our day. No matter where you come from, no matter who you are, if you want to know what God is like, Simeon says, you must look at Jesus. Because when you look at Jesus, you are looking at God. He was a light of revelation for the Gentiles and a light of glory, it says, for Israel. Meaning Simeon was one of the first to tell us he came for the whole world. I want you to hear that for a second. He came for the whole world. He came for those in China and he came for those who are Mexicans in Mexico. He came for Malayalis from India. He came for Americans from America. He came for Puerto Ricans. He came for the whole world so that the whole world could be grafted into Jesus. Let let me give you an example. Some years ago, I remember watching a YouTube video, and I was watching this Korean preacher preach, 
And I think it was in Korea because there was a whole stadium full of Korean people. He's speaking Korean, and in the bottom you could see a translation. So I'm reading this Korean preacher's message to a Korean stadium. And this man is preaching, and he's speaking of our father Abraham trusted God and went and followed him. And then our fathers were in the wilderness, and they followed him, and they failed. And then God came to our fathers and spoke. And as I kept hearing this man, this Korean man spoke about his father Abraham and his fathers in the wilderness and his fathers in the tribes of Israel, I honestly thought to myself, does this man know he's Korean, right? Because he spoke as if they were his ancestors, like he had come from their line. And I kid you not, it was like for the first time I looked down and saw, I have brown skin. I- I'm Indian. I- I'm not Jewish. I kid you not, till that moment I hadn't realized, I-, I grew up singing Father Abraham as many sons and I'm one of them, right? I'm Indian. I'm on the outside of this whole thing looking in. This was Israel's Messiah. This is Israel's Savior. This is the promised one to Jeremiah and Malachi and Isaiah. And everybody just about in this room is on the outside of this looking in. And yet this Messiah pulled us all in so that Abraham became our father. And that the tribes of Israel became where we came from. And their stories became our stories. So that 90% of the Indians in this room have named their kids Jewish names. I have a Hannah and a Micah, right? Not a Binu and and an Ajay anymore, right? Because we got pulled in all the way in, as did Mexicans and Americans and Puerto Ricans. I think Simeon would have loved sitting in this room. And I think Simeon would have looked around and said, it came true. He really did come as a light for the whole world. And look at all these people who have pulled in because of his salvation. And then Simeon says this, and then we'll be done. Verse 34, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Simeon gives us the first hint that what awaits this child will certainly be triumph, but also what awaits this child will certainly be tragedy. He says, this child will grow up and will be opposed. And then he looks at Mary and Joseph, blesses them. And then he looks to Mary and he says, this baby is going to pierce your soul. That what happens to this little one you're holding in your hands right now is going to puncture you all the way through. It's going to gash your soul into pieces. And you wonder, don't you, friends, if 33 years later... If standing underneath a Roman cross, watching her son gasp for breath, watching his life bleed out and die, you wonder if she recalled what Simeon had said. You wonder if her heart was gashed in pieces as her son was pierced for our transgressions, as Isaiah says, and crushed for our iniquities. You see, Simeon shows us that from the hour of his birth, Suffering was in his future. Death was what he had come for. He had come to die. And if Simeon could speak to Solomon, Simeon would say, One beyond the sun came under the sun and was the light of the world, but he was snuffed in darkness so that we might be saved. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. 
Seven Mile Road, don't grow familiar with Christmas in such a way that you're numb to its message and its meaning. Be amazed still that God loved you enough to sneak into our world and leave you a note through his son that he supremely cares. Let me read you one quote from an author named Max Lucado and then we'll be done. It says this, The omnipotent in one instant made himself breakable. He who had been spirit became pierceable. He who was larger than the universe became an embryo. And he who sustains the world with a word chose to be dependent upon the nourishment of a young girl. God as a fetus, holiness sleeping in a womb, the creator of life being created. God was given eyebrows, elbows, two kidneys, and a spleen. He stretched against the walls and floated in the amniotic fluids of his mother. This is the good news of Christmas, that God cared for you enough like that to satisfy every longing of your soul like Simeon's, to be the fulfillment of every promise that Simeon saw and can encourage you, you will see as well, and to show you that he had come to give his life even for you. So the question this Christmas is, what will you do with Jesus? In fact, that's Simeon's last words, right? So that the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. The last word Simeon says is, Jesus is going to come into the world and he's going to show you about your heart. He's going to reveal something about your heart. What will you do with Jesus this Christmas? I heard a story of a, a man who was walking through an art gallery, really pompous, really sophisticated man. There's Rembrandts and Van Goghs and Michelangelo's hanging on the wall, and he's so stuck up and proud, he's dismissing this piece of art and that piece of art, speaking down, muttering under his breath. The curator finally can't take it anymore. So he goes up to this man and he says, Sir, in this museum, the paintings are not on trial. The visitors are. And if I understand what he's saying, what's he saying? These paintings are masterpieces that have established their worth. Now what's left to be seen is whether you have eyes to see it. And this evening, the message would be, Jesus Christ is not on trial tonight, but you are. And what you do with him will reveal whether you have seen the light of the world and are living in the light, or whether you remain in darkness. So this Christmas, what will you do with Jesus Christ? Let's pray together.